Okay, so it's Rosh Chodesh El. There's a, um, we lane today, it's Matzah Shabbos, so we lane today in Shul, Parshas Re'e. And the words of the first Pasuk in, in Parshas Re'e start off with the words, Re'e anoichi noisin lefnechem hayoyim bracha uklala. You should see that I put in front of you today brachas and klalas, blessings and curses. So there's a story like, like most Hasidic Shemaisalach that happen. The story is just a story, but the but uh, the tzaddik took the story and made it into something very beautiful, and it, that's it's good for us to do, in general. So the story is told of Rabbi Yitzchak Mavorka, who was a was a friend of the Kutzker, Talmud friend of the Kutzker. So the Kutzker was very, very sharp. Everything he said was very, very sharp. And, and through Yitzhak Mavorka, everything was very, very soft. Very, very soft. And also we have not a lot of terrorists from him, but very, very soft. So it was almost like a, like a, a, a yin and yang, so to speak. They counterbalanced each other. The story goes that Rabbi Yitzhak Mavorka was sitting once and, um, and he, uh, he, it was Parshish Re'eh, and he, he said to, um, there was a person that was sitting there, and he said to the person there, "Tell me, tell me, Dvartara, tell me something about about uh, about this week's parsha." And the person said, "I'm I'm sorry, I, I don't really have anything to say. I never really learned in yeshiva. I don't really know what to say. I'm sorry." Um, so the Rabbi Yisroel said, "Look, just open up a chumash and start reading the pesukim, and whatever you know, you know. Whatever you don't know, you don't know." So the person said, "Okay, open up a chumash," and he started reading the words. And the words of this expression start with a anoichi. So he says re means to see anoichi me. And then he stopped and he said, I can't really go any further. I don't really know what else to say. Now, of course, that's a that's a mistake of what it means. The the word anoichi in that in the Pasuk is Hashem. Hashem is speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu or through Moshe Rabbeinu and saying, See that I gave before you today brachas and klalas. But the person read it mistakenly without really knowing how to read and said, Re anoichi, see, see myself. So I see myself, and I don't know what more the Pasuk has to say, but I guess that's what the Torah is teaching you, to see yourself. So Yitzchak Mavorka responded to that, and he used to say this over, every year. He would say the same thing. He says, if a person wants to know, because the Pasuk reads, see that I set before you today, if you want to know how to tell the difference in your life between blessing and curses, you have to know how to see yourself. You have to know how to know yourself. You have to know how to understand yourself. You have to be able to go into the depths of who you are. And, and it's only through that that you'll be able to learn the distinction between bracha and klala. The Ma'orva Shemesh was another, another big tzaddik, took this vart. I don't know if he actually took this vart, but he took this a step further. And he said, everyone has a self, an I. And the question is, how much of, is my relationship with myself bringing me to bracha? And how much is my relationship with myself bringing me to klala? How much of my trying to enhance my personal self, how much of that is raising me to living a life that's full of blessings? And how much is my relationship with myself leading me to a life of living curses? Okay. That's what the Mar Vashamash is teaching. That's what, the, that's what these Siddiquim are trying to teach us in the beginning of, of this past week's parsha. What I would like to do, because it's Rashkhadish El, is to talk a little bit about the notion of tshuva. This would be uh, categorized in under the label of the things that they don't teach us in our formal Jewish education, the things they don't teach us in Beisakov and Yeshua. Tshuva, to try to understand what tshuva is. I was talking to somebody today about the beauty of, of the month of Elul. Elul is uh, generally taught as being a, a period of preparation. We're preparing for the Yom Naran. The Svarim make a big deal about Hachana in general, preparation in general. But specifically in the month of Elul, they talk about the importance of realizing that to prepare ourselves for something is not a means to an end. Preparation is not something that we do just to get us to the next level. Preparation itself is an avoda. There's an avoda in preparation. 
So preparation in the Svarim is brought down, the month of El is brought down, it's preparing ourselves for the Kavanas of Rosh Hashanah, the Kavana of Shofar, the Kavana of Tshuva, the Kavana of Yom Kippur, etc. But that the month of Elul is not merely a good time, or since it's a since it's a month prior to Rosh Hashanah, therefore we should, you know, kind of think about doing tshuva. It's there's an ace ratzon in Shemayim. Hashem says that during this month, like it's true of every yantiv, during this month, there's some extra added energy. There's some added energy that takes place during the month of Elul, and we have to tune into that. We have to know what that is, and of course. Many of us are raised understanding that El is a time of fear, at least in the in the in the old style yeshivas. It was a time where people got very tuned into their own neuroses, the fear, the, the trepidation, oh my God, we're entering into the time where Hashem judges us, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's not really the way the Madrashim seem to seem to say things. It's certainly not the way that the, in the world of Hasidus where where we're the thought is much more around the words, I am to my beloved, and my beloved is to me. Hashem teaches us, it's the, these words come from Shir Hashirim, where we, we recognize that there's something very intimate about this month. There's something about this month that's really about love. It's a month of love. It's a month where the, the relationship between Hashem and Klal Yisrael become somehow more enhanced. There's much more of a, like the, even the words, they, look, they almost seem like a palindrome in some way. It's like, it's like a, it's a nice poetic play on words where it's, it's like a very mirrored kind of image. And then just flip those words around. We're looking at each other. We're connecting to each other. There's all of this uh, drama of love between us and Hashem. So it's not just about preparation per se, but we, we could say that the preparation itself is an avoida. And the avoida is to enter into the drama of my relationship with Hashem. That's really what this is about. Being in relation with Hashem is very, very dramatic. It's very, very beautiful. It's very, very intense. It's very, very painful. It's not for the faint of heart, being in a relationship with God. So the month of Elul is where that drama unfolds. That's how we get to Rosh Hashanah. We don't get to Rosh Hashanah after just preparing for Rosh Hashanah. It's not that we, we just spend our time preparing for Rosh Hashanah. It's a time that is meant to deal with our relationship with Hashem and really the drama of being in relationship with Hashem. The fear and trepidation aspect is not an extrinsic motivation. It's not like we have to be afraid of the judgment that's going to take place. It's the awe of a human being facing the reality of God. That's what the fear and trepidation is really about. It's, it's, it's being so madly in love that it's painful. We say in Yedid Nefesh, nafshi choylas ahavas ani, that we say in Shir Shirim all over the place that I'm sickly in love. It's too painful. I can't manage it. It's something that's too, too uh, um, uh, overbearing. It's too overwhelming. It's too transcendent. I can't, I don't know what to do with it. It's so big. It's both beautiful and painful all at the same time. So that's really the Avoid of El. The Avoid of El is to kind of peel away the layers of ourselves to reconnect with that which is, um, uh, the most powerful energy in our lives, which is Hashem. So where does tshuva fit into that? And, and what is, why, is, why is tshuva relevant this time of year? What does this have to do with anything? Rosh Hashanah has everything to do with Hashem. We mentioned very little about tshuva over Rosh Hashanah. It's not really part of that day. Yom Kippur, it would seem to be, right? We, I, we think we've said this every year. It would seem to be that Yom Kippur should take place first. First, the Rosh Chodesh El should start with Yom Kippur. Al-Chait, 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 Hashamnu, Bagadnu, all the sins I did, that's terrible, it's disgusting, I'm such a bad person, etc. And then from there, that should be the opening, you know, to connecting to the beauty of Rosh Hashanah and Hashem's the king and Hashem runs the world, everything's beautiful, everything's magnificent. It would seem that that's the direction we go. Obviously, we go in the exact opposite direction. Yom Kippur is the pinnacle. 
Yom Kippur is the climax. We, we're, we're now at the beginning. We're starting to climb this, this stairway into heaven. No, no pun intended. So that's really where we are. We're, we're now like at the gates of entering into this drama. And it starts off with our relationship with Hashem. So I'm going to try to kill two birds with one stone because... Um, I had a conversation recent, recently, uh, actually on a podcast with, if you know, Menachem Poznanski. So I made a comment in, in that little conversation that neuroses happens in the space between the self and the soul. That was a comment I made. And I got a, a few people reached out to me and said to me, what, what, what the heck is that supposed to be? So this is my attempt. To, we're, we entered into, we're entering now into this time of year and I want to be able to try to the best that I can to, um, to explain what I, what, I, what, I think is, what I think is true. <laughs> in order to do that, we have to start by defining the difference between the ego, the soul, and the, and the neshama. And I don't know how well we're going to be able to get all that out. There's way too much to talk about. But just we'll touch on the, on the, on the Rashi Prakram of it tonight. And then... And then uh, hopefully it'll be um, fodder for uh, a future series, maybe, of Shuram. I, I don't know. We'll see. So let's talk about the ego versus the soul. And then we'll talk about the soul versus the neshama. The distinction between the ego and the soul requires a lot of, a lot of work, just to understand the difference. And we'll start off with, um, with the Mishnah Perkei Avos. The Mishnah Perkei Avos says, Kol habareach akra kavod. Kavod Barechimeno, whoever chases Kavod, whoever chases respect, so respect will run away from them. Respect is something that's, uh, that's kind of like an eggshell on the bottom of, of an egg in a bowl. You stick your finger in to try to get it, it like slides away, it's slippery. If you chase Kavod, it'll run away from you. The Mishnah is talking about the ego. The ego is the part of our psyche that is responsible for, for self-preservation. It's the part of our psyche which it's not totally bad, right? We're not talking about haughtiness now. We're talking about the ego as a, as a brain function or as a psychic fun function, the function of our minds. The ego is the part of us that's responsible for self-preservation. Most of the ills that take place in our life inter interpersonally happen because our ego got tripped. Somebody dismissed me, somebody rejected me, somebody bullied me, somebody hurt me, somebody shamed me, someone didn't include me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of those kinds of things, the reactions that I have to those kinds of things happen because we have a, a, an ego inside of us, inside of our minds. We have a part of ourselves, which is the core of ourselves, that say, don't be destroyed. Don't be dead be alive, self-preservation. And so any of those kinds of things that, that we just mentioned, where someone were to hurt me or harm me, reject me, neglect me, embarrass me, et cetera, et cetera, any of those things will, 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 excuse me, will be equivocated with death. Because if I get rejected by someone, that means I'm no good. If I'm no good, then that, then that, then that spells shame. And shame is psychic death. And so the ego says, we don't want shame. So we don't want to be shamed. So the ego stands up. And in whatever way it can, it tries to push back on whatever's hurting me. So that can come out in all different kinds of ways. The, it can come out as I could, I could be re revengeful. I could lose my temper. I can have insecurities. I can be fearful. I can be all kinds of different things that the ego can get me to do. That's the ego. Now, the ego is very, very important in our lives. We, we, can't, we can't like minimize that. The ego is what's responsible for getting me to wake up every day. It's responsible for my motivation. It's responsible for my engagement in the world. It's responsible for me um, eating. It's responsible for hobbies. It's responsible for really all of the, the psychological functions that we have that exist in this world that are pushing me and pulling me to live. The ego wants life. The ego wants life. Absolutely, the ego wants life. The problems become when our egos get threatened. 
and our egos don't know how to work with life. And life, some, some often, always, is in tension with certain parts of our egos. I want to go here, and life pulls me there. I plan this, and life throws that in my plate. I want this, and that happens. All of the tensions that happen in life rub up against their egos. And that's um, something that we have to contend with. That's the way life goes, and that's, that's what we, um, as we become mature and as we grow up, that's our job. Our job is to figure out how to, how to manage that. Okay. That's ego. Yes? Okay. The opposite uh, or, or a, a deeper level of understanding ourselves is the soul. Now, the soul, we're not going to define right now or, or talk about the distinction in this, in this place. We're not going to talk about the distinction between a Jewish soul and a not Jewish soul. We're just going to talk about the soul. Understand what is the soul. The soul has, has a, a different need than self-preservation. And it seems like a very similar need, but it has a different need than self-preservation. The soul has a need to feel special. Whereas the ego has a need to matter, the soul has a need to be special. The soul is like gold. The self or the ego is like oxygen. If you, if you think of it in, that, in, in those terms, oxygen is, is something that you need to have consistently. The soul wants or craves something that's more beautiful than just life. The soul is not just about the basic daily living that goes on in life. The soul craves things that are more higher order. They need, the soul needs nutrition that's of a higher order. It needs things like love. It needs things like meaning. It needs things like, like deeper connections. It's not, it's not just enough to you know, like rub shoulders with people, but you need something more, you need to bond. The soul is the parts of ourselves that drive us to be more human than, than the deterministic view of like a biological human being. In other words, the, 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 the behaviorists, so to speak, or the people that just look at things as very, very matter of fact would say that human beings are simply the most complex animal that exists on this planet. It's animalistic. Um, so, you know, chimpanzees need a certain kind of food, but humans need a more sophisticated kind of food. Uh, possums need this kind of um, warmth and comfort. Human, need, human needs that, that level of comfort. The ego is very connected to the animalistic soul. When we talk about what it means to be a human being, to make meaning out of things, I'm sorry, the, the ego is connected to the, the animalistic parts of our lives. The soul is connected to the more sophisticated parts of being a human being. The soul is what distinguishes us from uh, other animals. It's the parts that need more meaning, more sophistication. It's the parts that really make life special. And the soul's Indian in life is that it needs to feel special. The soul needs to feel special. If the soul doesn't feel special, if the soul isn't given the nutrients of special things, then the soul's not going to thrive. The soul is the part of ourselves that allow us to connect to God. The souls are the part of ourselves where when Hashem created man, Hashem blew into man a, a soul. It's not just a life force, because before he, before he created Adam, Adam could have existed as a physiological being that was a more sophisticated animal. But when Hashem created Adam, he created Adam with something larger than that. It's larger than simply the physiological capacity to live. It's also about the ability to, to tune in and have a deeper, more meaningful existence. It's the part that's more connected to godliness, let's say, having a calling in life. So what's the difference between being driven by your ego and, and being driven by your soul? Let's talk about that. So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not plagiarize. I'm going to simply quote from a woman named Shelly Provost. I don't know who she is. I discovered her article a few months ago, and it, it's been completely helpful to me. So I'm just going to read through a bunch of distinctions she makes. A lot of this, I think, will be very, very, very resonant. 
if we don't understand this stuff, we cannot talk about a Jewish neshama. Right? So that's what our goal tonight is to get to. But let's, let me just go through some of the distinctions she makes between the ego and the soul. And I have zero doubt this is mamish like, like straightforward um, MS. Here's number one. She makes one, two, three, four, five, five distinctions. Here's distinction number one. Our egos fear not having something or not doing something. So the ego is driven by fear. That's number one. But it's also, before we even talk about the fear, this, the distinction she's making here is um, the absence of having something or the absence of action. So the ego is terrified of not having things, means it's constantly craving things, it wants things, it wants things, it wants, it wants things. That's where all of the lower animalistic drives like lust and greed and all of those things happen in the ego because the ego needs to have things for self-preservation. It needs to, it wants, it constantly wants things. It's lusting after things all day long. It wants, it wants, it wants, it's gluttonous, etc. And the ego is also driven by doing something. It wants to do, do things. Certainly, I, I know this, I see this all day long in therapy, how many times people think that the more they do, the better off they'll be. Whereas 99% of the problem is you're doing something in order to prove something, or you're doing something because you're looking for accomplishment, and you think that accomplishment is going to fill the hole. It's not going to happen. The, the ego is driven by that. It's, it's not bad. The ego needs to have things for sure. But where things get perverted is when the ego is running after something that the ego shouldn't be running after, the soul should be running after. So here's the distinction she makes, the first distinction she makes. The ego fears not having or doing something. The calling fears not expressing or being something, right? So there's a difference between having something or expressing something. Having something is to take and just something. I need this. The more I have this, the better I am versus the soul wants to be expressive. The soul wants to be expressive. It doesn't mean giving necessarily, but it means the soul is constantly in a state of wanting to express or to be, which means to experience. The soul constantly wants to, the soul is constantly in a state of experiencing as opposed to doing. If we think about Tyramitsis for a minute, which, which we're gonna to get to at the end, but if we think about Tyramitsis for a minute, there's the gufa mitzvah, there's the act of the mitzvah, and then there's the kavana of the mitzvah. The act of the mitzvah is done by the guf, by the body, by the ego. Halacha is all about the ego, what you do, what you don't do, how you do it, and all the little details of how you should or shouldn't do it. That's the guf, that's the, that's the gashmias part of a mitzvah. And then there's also the kavana, that's the experience of the mitzvah, the personal experience of the mitzvah. That's the soul. That's one. Number two, yeah, I'm, I'm moving on. The ego needs anxiety to survive. The ego is in a constant state of movement, whereas the soul is in a constant state of silence. And it flows from the first thing we said. If the ego is, an, is, is constantly trying to have things or do things, and the soul is constantly trying to experience things, then the soul is much more silent because the soul is just showing up to like, be ready to experience. Whereas the ego is constantly needing to, to, be, to, to, to be thinking, doing, busy, being afraid, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes? Third, the ego in its, its, in its ultimate state is burnout. If the ego is on steroids, then the ego is burning out. The way that I've, I've described this to us in the past is oblivion. The ego hits oblivion. The ego runs on a treadmill and the treadmill doesn't stop and the treadmill goes in every different direction, but it's always a treadmill. It never ever moves, never goes anywhere. When the ego is at its full capacity, it's burnt out. Calling is always about fulfillment. So if, if, you, if anyone remembers, we made this distinction once between oblivion and infinity. The distinction between oblivion and infinity seems to be very, very like small. Oblivion is like when you fall in a dream, right? If, you have, if you've ever been dreaming and like you fall in the middle of a dream and you never hit the bottom, right? And you wake up because you're in the middle of fear. 
And the fear is that there's no bottom and you're just falling and you're falling for the sake of falling. So that's really the, the description of what our egos do. It, they just, it just pulls us into oblivion more and more and more and more. Work more, work harder, make more money, have more, have more, right? The Gemara says that whoever has whoever has 100 wants 200, whoever has 200 wants 400. It's, it's oblivion. It's Ein Ladever Saif. That's the, the Lashon of the Gemara. Ein Ladever Saif. It goes on and on and on and on, and it never ends. Infinity is in this moment, right here, this second, in the smallest little speck of reality, I have fulfillment. So the ego is constantly searching for more and the soul is content with this tiniest little smallest thing. The word fulfillment, if you ask me, I, this is like my new, my new kick now, I'm, everything, everywhere I go, this is what I'm talking about. Fulfillment is, I think, is the, 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 the core of the epidemic that our society goes through today. Nobody is fulfilled. Everyone is chasing stimulation, stimulation, stimulation. No one is fulfill fulfilled. We have a fulfillment um, uh, drought. The more fulfilled we are, the more motivated we are. The key to all motivation is fulfillment. It's the key to all motivation. It's where anytime you stop and you say to yourself, well, I can't be consistent, I can't be consistent, I can't be consistent. The, the, the capacity to be consistent comes through fulfillment. That's the key, that's, the, that's what's missing in life. If I'm not fulfilled, then I can't be constant. If I'm not fulfilled, I also can't be fully motivated. Ego sends you running like this, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. The soul is the part of us that allows us to feel fulfilled. And the more fulfilled I am, the more motivated I am to move. Let's, let's say this one more way. The ego is constantly focused on what's lacking. The soul is constantly focused on what's present. So if we, if we go back to tie this back to things we things you said in the past, <clears throat> the reason why the, the, the tzaddikim were very, very busy making the distinction between good and evil is that evil is essentially, we, we did a share on this once, evil is essentially non-existent. Evil doesn't exist, it's the absence of existence. And the problem with evil is, is that it, it runs itself into oblivion. If you want to focus on what you don't have, you'll spend the entire life focusing on what you don't have because you can't have everything. It was a quote from, from Brene, Brene Brown, if you're familiar with Brene Brown. I, I get smiles, that's great. <laughs> Brene, Brown's, Brene Brown, who's for some people uh, their hero and for some people not necessarily. Brene Brown um, said, uh, stop searching for proof that, you're, that there are other people that are better than you because you will always find it. Stop searching for proof of your insecurities because you'll always find it. Stop searching for proof of your failures. You'll always find it. You can, you can go into oblivion. That's what the ego does. It drives us to oblivion. And the, and the net result of that is burnout. The opposite of, the, of that is fulfillment. And that's, the, that's one of the biggest yesidus of the Baal Shem Tov was to say, stop focusing on the negative. The negative is essentially meaningless. It's the absence of something. Forget the absence of something. Focus on what is. Focus on reality. Be connected to reality. Because within reality, there's fulfillment. And that's, that's the side of life, is to find fulfillment in things. We're going to move on. Yes? Two more. The ego focuses on results. End result. What's the bottom line? It's the bottom line. The soul focuses on the process. Because again, the soul is about experience. You can experience the process and being in the moment of the process and be fulfilled in the moment of the process. Ah, you didn't get to the end result. Who cares about the end result? Right now, it's good. Right now, it's interesting. Right now, it's curious. Right now, it's El. El is all about hachana, about preparation. It's not about what's going to happen in Rosh Hashanah. It's about this moment. I can tune into, in this moment, being a part of the journey. <clears throat> Ego is about getting to the end result, the destination, and the soul is about process. And last but not least, ego is self-directed and soul 
is other directed. Part of the reason why we haven't in our own tradition, in our own Yiddishkeit, seen enough about Ben Adam La'atzmo, part of the reason why there hasn't been much discussion about a person's intrapsychic world, the relationship we have with ourselves, is because it was, it's always taken for granted that if you're connected to your soul, you're interested in the other. So you don't need to talk about self-preservation. I mean, there, there's, this is a, a much longer, much longer discussion. You have to understand history a little bit of the fact that never has there been a time in history where people had the capacity to tune into fulfillment. They, we never had fulfillment. Everyone was always in survival mode. We're the first or really the first or second generation historically of Jews that are beyond survival mode. Like we have money and we have luxury and we have so much capacity to, to be so much more than we can possibly imagine. The focus on Ben Adam HaChavera and Ben Adam HaMokom is all about what I could do for others. If I have an intact soul, then my focus is on expressing that, expressing. Uh, not just experiencing, but taking that experience and moving that experience outside myself. I want to share it with others. I want to move the world. I want to bring it into the world. I want the world to experience more than just what they have. I want to do for you. I want to give to you. I want to, to influence you. Not from the place of ego, because I need to influence you, but because I want, I've experienced something that's so beautiful, I need to share it, I need to give it out. It has to mean something, it has to go somewhere. So these are the five distinctions she makes. I think that they're very accurate. I think that one of the, the probably the main thing that is, is Nogea to us in our, in our lives today is the distinction, I mean, obviously each person for themselves or whoever takes out whatever they take out from this, but the major distinction is, is, is I, I think, is the one that we were talking about, the difference between burnout and fulfillment. The world today is the busiest, messiest place that it's ever been. It's the wealthiest place. It's, we have the most opportunity, the most money, and we're also the most stressed and the most depressed because we, we, we haven't yet figured out how to make fulfillment happen. So fulfillment, we think, can only happen by chasing more stimulation and more stimulation and more and more and more and bigger and larger and greater and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's all ego-driven. If we can tune into the soul, then we have the capacity to expand through fulfillment. Expansion through fulfillment is soulful work. Now, everything we've just talked about is non-denominational. All of this stuff is true of Jews, it's true of non-Jews, it's completely um, what every human being on this planet can tune into. And we as human beings and as, as you know, uh, Torah true Jews, whatever that means, we believe that we all have this. This is all a capacity everyone has. Re'e see myself, learn about these things. These are things we have to learn about. Uh, Anyone who's ever been in therapy, everyone, anyone that's ever been trying to like grow, these are things that we have to think about. We have to recognize the, the capacity to run either through our ego or through our soul. So very quickly, just to review, and then we're going to move from here into talking about neshama for a minute. The five things that she says is ego fears not having or doing something, calling fears not expressing or being something. Ex right, expressing and experiencing. That's all what the soul is about. Ego needs anxiety to survive. Calling needs silence to survive. So the calling, the, the soul just wants to be able to, to be tuned into um, uh, the experience. Ego manifests as burnout. The soul manifests as fulfillment. Ego focuses on results. Success focus, uh, um, soul focuses on the process. Ego wants to preserve itself. The soul wants to preserve others. All of this is non-denominational across the board. So now let's take it a step further. Because one of the things that, that, I, that I said before is that the, the self, the ego, wants to preserve itself. The soul, the soul wants to feel special. The Lashon of the Svarim is that Klal Yisrael is the soul of the soul of the people. 
inside feeling special, inside everything we just discussed about soulfulness versus ego, all of that stuff, there's a, there's a soul that's hidden even, even, deep, even, even deeper into that. And that's really the distinction between feeling special and feeling kadosh. Kadusha, the feeling of kadusha is certainly a special feeling. But it's something, it's, it's being special of specialness. It's like two times specialness, or it's like the specialness of specialness. There's all different ways, I guess, of, of trying to express it. Where Hashem says, I give, I give humanity, all humanity has a soul. All humanity has the capacity to do all of these kinds of things, to be tuned into experience and to find fulfillment in life and to be expressive in life and to care about others. Every human being on the planet has that. But I want to give you, Claudia Stroll, the capacity to, to go to take it a step further, to, to, to be something deeper, to be something that's not just special, but is holy. The ego needs to matter. The soul needs to feel special. The neshama of a Jew needs to be kadosh, kedusha. Kedusha means that it's not just about my soulfulness, but it's all directed from Hashem and back to Hashem. That there's a certain intimacy, there's a certain specialness that is reserved specifically for Klal Yisrael, and that specialness, forgetting the fact that it's distinct from the other, the other nations of the world, we don't have to go there. It's, this is not about putting any other people down or not really differentiating any, it's, that's not really, it's a it's a much more complex question, our, our role in the world versus the world of, of the Um Asylum. But for us, just for us to understand, Kedusha, we're, we're not really taught much about what Kedusha is. Kedusha is the capacity to experience that I matter, to experience that I, I, could, I could live in a more special way, a more sophisticated way, and that it's not just about being special, but that, I, that there's this added layer of tuning into the fabric of existence, that everything about me is somehow so intricately connected to the fabric of all existence, that a Jew could be sitting somewhere and do something nice for someone else, and somehow that mitzvah <clears throat> affects the entire existence of all of life. I don't just matter to myself. I don't just matter to the people that I'm with me. I don't just matter through karma, if you believe in that. I matter. I matter in a way that's that's way beyond. I can affect worlds and universes and all kinds of things in the spirit sphere and the mystical spheres. Everything about me makes waves in all of existence. Because Hashem says, Hashem reveals that from all the humanity that I've created and all that human, humanity can do, there's something that's beyond that Kalyusrol can do. The specialness of religion, of our religion, is that it's the blueprint for living Kedusha. It's not the blueprint for mattering. It's not the blueprint for feeling special. It's the blueprint for Kedusha. And this is where things get really, really messed up for us. Because we tend to get very confused between what's psychologically healthy and what Hashem wants for us. Those things are not necessarily the same thing. And those things can be in tension with each other. The problems become when we get confused with religious culture and what we think is normal and what's healthy. We have egos. The egos are, our ego is there to teach us how to live a healthy life. If things don't make sense to our ego, we shouldn't be doing them. Our job is to preserve our ego. The problems in life become when our egos and our connection to Torah get not in line with each other, not in sync with each other. That's where life gets crazy, or that's where life gets, you know, fun or dramatic or, or, or whatever, or screwy, whatever, whatever word you want to use. But the, the purpose of Torah and mitzvahs is to give Claudia Yisrael a unique capacity to live in a way that no one else can. The Gemara says that, that a, a guy who keeps Shabbos is Chayev Misa. It doesn't mean we kill someone. It just means that we, we understand. A guy who tries to keep Shabbos, that means he tries to tune into or she tries to tune into Kedusha, she can't. You just, it's not, it's just, it's like, it's not possible. 
because Kedusha is something that exists on a plane that's much higher than feeling special. So much of what, of what we struggle with in our lives, like modern psychology, modern psychology is mostly about working out the problems of the ego. That's what modern psychology is about. Whether you're doing, uh, you know, psychoanalytic free association for, for seven years, three times a week on a couch, and you're tuning into your unconscious, you, if you're doing it well, and, and, or if either you're a therapist or you're, you're a patient, you are tuning into the unconscious of your ego. You're tuning into the unconscious of your ego. The healthier you get, the more capacity you have to touch your soul. But modern psychology is not dealing with the soul. Modern psychology is dealing with the ego. That's where the con inner conflicts we have, our egos get really messed up when I want to go in this direction and I want to go in that direction at the same time and I have an inner conflict, Freud called that the neuroses. So it's like, it, I have two different drives. They're not, they're not matching up to each other. They're not aligning to each other. So they're in conflict. So I got to figure out how to manage my life. Or my ego has been traumatized by things that have happened to me. And so I'm constantly working on these schemas in my brain that are pulling me in different directions. And then life happens over here, but I'm like going over here and I'm pushing in this direction. Meaning like there's a conflict because my brain is telling me I should react this way, but the situation isn't calling for that. So it's like the person just like happened to not make eye contact with me in the, in the coffee shop, but I feel hurt. It's like, well, they like no big deal. Right. Um, the neighbor was walking by and they didn't stop to say hello. So what, what don't they like about me? And it's like, they don't like anything about it. They have to go change their kid's diaper. Like what, like what, why am I, you know, going through that in my brain? So the, all of that is modern psychology stuff. That has nothing to do with soul. That has nothing to do with that. That's simply about, you know, what are the conflicts that the ego, because the ego is constantly looking for self-preservation and because there's so many different parts to our psyches. So the ego is constantly in conflict with it, with itself. That's pulling me in this direction or pulling me in that direction. So that's what modern psychology is there to do. Once we, once we hopefully graduate to a place where we can tune into the soul a little bit, we can tune into our self a little bit. That means we can tune into feeling that there's something unique about us, there's something special about us, not something special about that distinguishes me between me and anyone else, but that I can turn into my, tune into myself and feel special. Now we're talking about something different. Now we're talking about things like, what's your mission in life? Where do you find love? Where do you find meaning? How do you find beauty? All of those words have to do with the soul. They do not have to do with the ego. The ego doesn't really care much about meaning. The ego cares about surviving. It cares about getting by. It cares about not being in conflict with itself. So if anyone's ever ever like um, been in pain and then has found more meaning and has had what we call post post traumatic um, growth and you've made meaning out of your pain, that's coming more from the soul. It's not necessarily coming from the ego. It's more soulful. Finding meaning in life, making meaning out of something, finding a deeper way of living experiencing something on a deeper level, that's not really ego, that's more soulful. The neshama really is the next step beyond that. Like if you don't have those two things, you're really not tuned into your neshama. The neshama is when you get underneath meaning and you get underneath love and you get underneath uh, all the beautiful things in life and you, you see where it's all coming from. You see it's all coming from Hashem, that's Aleph. Bez, you're able to recognize that everything about me is really, is really Hashem. There really is no me, per se. It's not a matter of annihilation. It's almost the exact opposite. It's the most pure experience of existence, is when a person can experience that I am really simply part of a flow of God. That I don't really exist, I'm godly. When a person is doing a mitzvah in the right way, that means that everything's working in the right way, it means that their neshama is so tuned into a feeling, that's a key word, tuned into a feeling of being a part of Hashem, and then there's no choice, should I or shouldn't I? There's no conflict, should I or shouldn't I? 
it just flows. It flows. Shabbos just flows. The mitzvahs just flow. It's it's like it's in the the, the, the to term from the Breslov is 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 a nachal noveam akar chachma. It just flows. Things just flow. The reason for that is because Rabbi Nachman, whenever he spoke, it would just flow, flowed. Everything just flows. When a person is in the flow of godliness, then there's no conflict. There's no question of what meaning can I make out of this? What meaning can I not make out of this? There's no conflict. Should I do this? Shouldn't I do that? My mind wants to go here. My mind wants to go there. I'm not really sure. It's yes, bechira, no bechira. The, 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 the way that some of the Svarim write it is in, in a cute way. The, the, the highest darga of bechira, the highest level of bechira is not to have choice because I'm tuned into my neshama. And if I'm tuned into my neshama, it means I'm tuned into the blueprint of everything that exists in this world. And so Shabbos is not a day that I observe. Shabbos is a reality. And I'm just part of that reality that's called Shabbos. I'm part of that mitzvah. I'm part of this mitzvah. And I'm not part of that Avera. And, and speaking the piece of Lashon Hara, it's not, it's not like I had a struggle, should I, shouldn't I? It's that no, it, it, it feels disgusting to me to be not sensitive to someone. It feels like it's the antithesis of me to be sitting in judgment of someone, that feelings of resentment grate on my soul, and I just don't want to go there, so I just don't go there. So my neshama is just flowing like this. In the world of the neshama, the Eight Sahara isn't there. The Eight Sahara isn't there with the neshama. The Eight Sahara ex- exists much more in the ego, Eitzahar isn't really so much of a soulful concept. It's not really part of the soul. The Eitzahar is the conflicts. The conflict like this, conflict like that. I'm not sure exactly how to make it work. There's all different ways, uh, constructs. The Eitzahar is really a very undefined term. But the Eitzahar exists in the world of the self, in the ego. Ego is conflicts. You, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. You try to make it a little bit like this, a little bit like that, etc. But the neshama, the neshama has nothing to do with the Yetzirah. The neshama doesn't exist anywhere near the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah is a thousand bazillion miles away from the neshama. It has nothing to do with the neshama. The neshama simply flows. It's a complete flow, and it is something that only, only a Jewish person has, has, and that is it's tuned into the way that Hashem, Kaviyachal, lives in this world. So Rosh Hashanah is a day of being man Hashem. So I'm man Hashem through simply just being a part of it. That's it. It's just a part of it. That's the only way that the, the neshama exists. I'm just a part of it. Torah, mitzvahs, not midos. Midos are not part of the neshama. Midos have much more to do with the ego. Certain Bali Musar talk more about the soul too, but Midos have to do with the world of the ego. Don't be like this. Yes, be like this. You have very, very human impulses that want you to self-preserve. So therefore want this kind of thing, the one to be pulled in that direction, be pulled in this direction. The Bali Musar were very much dealing with the world of the self, of the ego. The Baal Hasidus were not, really. The Baal Hasidus were saying, forget Musr. We don't really need to talk about the self. Let's talk about the soul. Let's talk about me- m- making meaning out of something. <clears throat> the purpose of tshuva, the purpose of really growth in and of itself, is to try to get an alignment between these three kind of madregas. That there should be alignment between my self, my ego, my soul, and the deeper thing that's called the neshama. The neshama is the chelik alikami mal mamish. It's the peace of Hashem that's within me that if I just turn, turn into and, and learn how to cultivate a relationship with that peace that's within me, then my life just flows. I, I'm, I don't exist. It's complete bittle. I'm completely, it's not annihilation. It's the opposite of annihilation. It's going back to the flow of what I am, right? I'm not, I'm not um, annihilated by the fact that my heart beats without my consciousness. It's, I'm thankful that my heart beats and I have to think about it. It's the same thing that, the, it's the same way the neshama works. The neshama doesn't have to be conscious of anything. It just, if everything could let go, the neshama could be revealed. And if the neshama is revealed, 
then my system is completely led by by Hashem because that's the reality. The reality is is that is that Sunday is Yom Rishon LeShabbos. It's all about Shabbos. And when I wake up in the morning, my mouth begins to say words of praise to Hashem. Words of praise to Hashem, not because I like what Hashem did. I don't have a mind. I don't have an ego. I don't have a thought. I praise Hashem because to be in a state of praise is the experience of being connected to your neshama. The neshama exists in a, cons- in a constant state of ecstasy of being connected to Hashem. And Hashem is all beauty. Hashem is all ur. Hashem is all perfection. If the neshama, if we as human beings didn't have an ego and we didn't have the, the, the outline of our neshamas, which, which I'm using to say soul, you can think about this as nefesh, ruach, and neshama, if you're familiar with those categories. Nefesh is the ego. Ruach is the soul. The neshama is that which, which what we're talking about is connected to Torah mitzvahs. If I didn't have that and I was completely led by, by my neshama, I would cease to exist. People who are psychotic, people who experience psychosis, so I don't know how many, I don't know, I, it's nice to meet you guys. I don't know who's, I don't know who's a mental health professional or not. People who experience psychosis are experiencing a removal of their nefesh and ruach. And they're experiencing light that's coming from their, from their neshama, or in a case of anandra, they're experiencing light that comes from their ruach, that they have no capacity, there's no tangible capacity to deal with it in, in, in their ego. And so therefore, it's experienced as a break. And it literally, it can shatter a person's brain. People can die from having an untreated psychotic episode. <laughs> it's because nefesh. But often, when people, when, when Jewish people experience a psychotic episode and they start to feel things like this Mashiach, or Hashem's talking to me, it's nevuah, it's not, it's not complete crackery or quackery. There's something actually happening. And that, and that is, there aren't Kalim, the, the self doesn't know what to do with this like unbelievable explosion that took place. The difference between somebody who's psychotic and somebody who has Navua is that somebody who has Navua has the capacity to deal with the Neshama exploding. When the Neshama explodes, that means that that piece of Hashem that's within me explodes outwards, then I cease to exist in that moment. That's what Navua is. Navua is, is that Chalak that godly peace that's buried inside of me is completely unleashed and nothing else exists. It's called Ruach HaKodesh, really. Nevuah is even a higher dagger. So let's, let's take the word Nevuah out of it. That's Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh is the capacity to be tuned into my neshama. The neshama is, all of Torah and mitzvahs are what the neshama is doing. The question is whether or not our bodies and our minds follow. You can call me tomorrow. <laughs> the, the, the neshama just continues to flow. The neshama is completely tuned into the fabric and the reality of how life works. And that's Torah Mitzvah's. Tshuva, I'm sorry, growth is about trying to make an alignment between all of these things in life. It's about saying my ego is conflicted and wants to do 15 million things, but there's, there's a part of my soul that's calling me to do something bigger. So many of the Bali of the Bali Hasidim say, forget what you're in conflict with. It doesn't matter to me. I was sitting in a in a, in a meeting. I was sitting with a, with a with a, a rav about a certain project that we were working on, and and I was like really pulling back, and it was mostly my own insecurity. And I started to say to him, oh, I don't know if I should really like do this thing. I'm not really sure. I don't know. I'm stepping on someone else's toes. I don't know." And he looked at me square in my eyes and says, I don't care what your conflict is. Like, like I'm not interested. Um, like, stop. It doesn't make a difference. Like, we're doing something here. There's something real here. And whatever, get over yourself. Like, I don't care what your conflict is. So and it was done with love. And I, you know, had enough of a, I think, thicker skin at this stage of my life. So it's like, he's right. He's right. Like, stop. Stop being insecure. Your insecurities take place in your ego. Now, I'm not minimizing that. Like, the ego is really important. Our psyches are really important. <clears throat> but my point is that growth is to try to is to try to get yourself deeper. Like work on your insecurities, work on your conflicts, but then try to get yourself a little deeper. 
Try to find where your calling is. Try to find where your soul is. Try to find, excuse me, a way to find within yourself a capacity to be led more by your soul. And then go even deeper than that. Find a way that Torah and mitzvahs are there to enhance your life. Find a way to tune into Torah and mitzvahs where it's not about a choice, which is the way the ego approaches Taramitsas. Find a way where Taramitsas are completely natural, because they are. Taramitsas are completely natural to each and every one of us. Our neshama is constantly being mekayim every single mitzvah in the Torah. Every single mitzvah in the Torah and neshama is being mekayim all the time. It's just a matter of whether or not we can schlep our bodies to the party. If we can't, we can't. But our neshamas are constantly doing every Torah mitzvah. Every single mitzvah that, that comes our way, our neshama does. Our neshama does every mitzvah. The only question is, is whether or not we can get our bodies to do that, whether or not we can develop enough of a soul consciousness, <coughs> neshama consciousness. Re'eya noichi, the Pasik says, see yourself. Find yourself, discover yourself, dig deep into yourself, and see whether or not you can find the place within yourself that's called your neshama, which is the deepest place, which, but it's also the most natural and most beautiful thing that has ever existed on this planet. And it's in each and every one of us. And find a way to, to, to develop it and express it. Each one of us has a personality. Each one of us has our own dreams, has our own way of living, has our own way of being. Express it. Build it. Share it with people. Share yourself with the world. Share yourself with even in the tiniest little, little place, if it's a matter of experiencing versus expressing, don't end your life by just experiencing something. Express it somehow. Even if it's, your, it's behind your closed, your closed doors, to experience something is a beautiful thing, but now express it. Make it more real. Express yourself. Make yourself more real in this world. Even if you're an introvert, do it. Build it. Grow it. Make something of it. Because the more that you express yourself into this world, the more you're living from a place of neshama, the more you're living from a place of ruach. Tshuva, the first understanding after all of this uh, uh, drasha, tshuva on a darga of our egos is to say, Hashem, there's a mess up here. I, I conflicted. I really wanted this. I really wanted that. I don't know. I'm not really sure. I chose the wrong thing. I, you know, I'm sorry I chose the wrong thing. Okay, that's that's for sure. There are halachas about how that's supposed to be. Fine. On a deeper level, shuva is to be able to say to Hashem, between my ego, which is all the conflicts that I have, and the calling, I'm not choosing calling. I'm choosing to go with the ego. I'm choosing burnout. I'm chasing stimulation. I'm not really finding fulfillment. So tshuva on a deeper level means to say, I'm going to stop stimulation. I'm going to look for fulfillment. I'm going to stop trying to do things. I'm going to look to experience things. I'm going to stop trying to focus on my selfishness. I'm going to, I'm going to focus more on expressiveness and doing for others. On a deeper level than that, it's the disconnect that takes place between me and Tyrannitzes where I don't feel that Torah and mitzvahs are shayach to me. Tshuva in the deepest level is when a person wakes up in the morning and says, Torah and mitzvahs are over there and I'm over here. And they're not the same thing. And it, the whole thing's extrinsic to me. When, when a person is tuned into the world of tshuva, it means that they're bringing themselves back to themselves. I'm bringing myself back to my neshama. I'm bringing myself back to my ruach. I'm bringing myself back to the deeper places within me that are really completely flowing from Hashem. If Cook writes over here, and you posted it on the, on the WhatsApp chat. So if you have it, great. If not, not. And if you want, I can send you a picture of this afterwards. If Cook here says in, in Urus Atshuva, Perik Yud Aleph, uh, tshuva, whoever does tshuva in a deeper way, the deeper I do tshuva, which means the way we just set it up, the more I can return to my neshama, the more I can return to the unique way that I am in this world, the more I am living authentically to myself, I'm living my way, 
the more I could return, the deeper my tshuva could be, then my fear of death gets removed. If we think about it in terms of the way so many of us are raised, where Elul is such a fear-inducing and anxiety-inducing time, tshuva, tshuva gets such a bad rap. It, 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 has, it has the feeling of such negativity and anxiety and you have to you have to you know like you, you have to feel a pit in your stomach and the, and your 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 adam's apple has to go through your head like it's such an intense intensity of cook is saying the exact opposite the deeper you get into chuva the more you are going into yourself and 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 returning to the natural way that you are your fear of death which is to use modern psychology, what Freud said, that all neuroses come from the fear of death. That means all your neuroses go down, not the opposite. Tshuva tends to trigger neuroses up, the opposite. The more you do tshuva, the less anxious you become. Until your fear of death completely leaves you. If you're doing tshuva right, you're becoming less afraid. If you're doing tshuva right, you're becoming less tuned into the ego. If you're doing tshuva right, you're doing less stimulation and more fulfillment. If you're doing tshuva right, you're doing less needing to have things and instead trying to experience things. And instead of the fear of death, what we end up with is what the Pasuk says, it's talking about the days of Mashiach, that we will laugh on the, on the end, at the end of days. That means that we will laugh at death, not just laugh at death, but laugh with death. Death will be a good thing for us because death means that I've arrived at the place where it's just my neshama. It's just the aura of Hashem. It's just the beauty of how beautiful beauty is. I don't know how to use the word beauty in a, in a, I don't know what word is, is more magnificent than that word. That's it. That's the purpose. The purpose is to get back to that place where it's I'm 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 back in the flow of being of being godly. The reality of spirituality, the reality of this concept that we were just talking about. Granted, I'm putting a lot, I'm putting a lot of words into Rav Cook's words, but but we're reading this in this way. The reality of spirituality, of mysticism, of finding calling, of finding our souls. That is the true existence of man. That is similar to the reality of spirituality that exists in the whole world. It captures the essence of who we are. Spirituality captures the essence of who we are. It becomes center focus in our lives. Tuning into the, the deeper parts of ourselves captures the essence of our lives. How do you know that there's a God? You don't. You can't prove God. The moment you can prove anything, it's not godly. The moment you can intellectually convince yourself of anything, it's not godly. Faith begins where intellect ends. Faith means I don't know. But to be certain about God means that you've left the world of the ego. In the world of the ego, things need to be certain. In the world of the neshama, in the search for things like meaning, we let go of certainty. Nothing that's certain is meaningful. Meaningful and certainty are not part of the same worlds. I'm not certain that there's a God, but that's the beginning of God being meaningful to me. It's the beginning of anything being mean, meaningful to me. This is just a cup. The meaning of this cup has nothing to do with certainty. It has to do with sentimentality. It has to do with memory. It has to do with my personal connection to it, my feelings of it. If you love someone, it's not because you have a certain connection with them. You love someone because you love them. And love, love surpasses certainty. The fact that someone's my blood relative doesn't mean I love them. It means that they're blood, my blood relative. If I love them, that's beyond the world of certainty. The certainty of spirituality, that means when I know it within my soul, it's not a brain knowledge. It's a feeling and experience of certainty. The certainty of, 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 of 
of spirituality expands and expands and expands. Bahamoves and death, Oved Eshemo, loses its name. Death is, is fickle, it's meaningless, it's really not part of reality. The Imo Esmoro Ufalatsuso. And along with death leaving, leaves all the neuroses and all the fears that we have of life. I'm not going to continue. Um, I'm not going to continue this. It's it's beautiful. Uh, maybe we'll do one more sentence. Ba'ishus hayichida, and the and the 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 humanity of each and every one of us halechas and misgadalas grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. We are tasked to see the essence of who we are. We are tasked to become more of who we are. We are tasked to become deeper people, more meaningful people, to find more beauty in our lives, to find more beauty within ourselves, to find more beauty in others, to find more beauty in the world itself. Shuvah is a return to that. Shuvah is not just returning to Hashem by saying, oh, yeah, I screwed up. Shuvah is, 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 a, is a very delicate journey towards more reality towards more spirituality, towards more meaning, to more depth, to something that's more essential about me. The more I can enhance my life, the more I can grow my life, the more tshuva I'm doing. Because the more I'm becoming who I am, the more tshuva I'm doing. That's what tshuva is. So we should be zaycha in our lives to learn more about tshuva, to be in a constant state of tshuva, to be yearning in a in not in a in a way of pain because there's something lacking in our lives, but to be yearning because if we've ever been inspired by anything in our lives, if we've ever tasted beauty, if we've ever tasted anything that's meaningful in our lives, we know that that we want more. So we should be we should be as we enter this time of El of Anila where we're where we're we're kind of realigning ourselves back to our relationship with Hashem. That Hashem should give us the ability to not just retune into the beauty of what it means to be connected to Hashem, but Hashem should give us more opportunity and more teachers in our lives and more moments that teach us in our lives that open our hearts larger, bigger, deeper. And with that, we should be zaychad to experience uh, the expansion of ourselves into the world of Yerushalayim, with Mashiach, Meher B'Yameinu, Shabbos.